Welcome to Out of Rich Darkness. I'm Camille Savage-Kroll. And I'm Elena Chia. We're both professors at the University of Music in Freiburg, Germany. In this podcast, we reimagine the ways in which we learn and make music and explore how it can be part of a holistic, healthy way of being in the world. For our second season, we've brought in some help in the form of experts from different fields, ranging from environmental activism to visual arts, who can help us see where our blind spots might be and inspire us to dream bigger. Our guest today is the artist Stella Wally. I first met Stella at the Obras Artist Residency in Alentejo, Portugal where I learned so much about what art can be and how different artists work. Stella struck me as an artist who uses everything that comes into her life as material for her work. She describes herself as an artist who produces work in response to space and place, to architecture and environment, to objects and materials, archaeological references and archives, and to local histories and narratives. She has exhibited at Empire II of the Venice Biennale 2017, at the Nakanojo Biennale Japan 2015, the Wilson Gallery Cheltenham, the Victoria and Albert Museum London, and the Birmingham City Art Gallery. Stella, welcome and thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. So we started talking last week a little bit about art and music and I asked you if you could bring along a piece of music or tell me about a piece of music that moves you and could you tell us what that is? Yeah, um, well, I can tell you. Um, it, it's, it's, it's very strange because all sorts of different music have moved me in my life for different reasons in different periods of time. And from when I was young, I was into Northern Soul. I used to love dancing in nightclubs, got into funk music, etc., etc. But one piece of music that emotionally got me was Bobby Womack, 110th Street. And because the beginning of that song is so moving in his voice and that sort of lift as you go into the song and then his, his rough sort of voice telling this sort of, the story of, you know, poverty on the streets and being a black person living in, LA, in America at that time and you know it just makes you realize how the situation just hasn't changed you know and in London you know we have lots of different um, I, I mean in England at the moment there's just been two incidents of police uh, arresting young boys with the knee on the neck and yeah. um, this doesn't go away and uh, but that song is just so so emotional um, that's why I wanted to mention that piece. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Can you describe what it is that happens to you when you hear that song? Um, it's very difficult to describe. I mean, I, you know, it's sort of just, your hair stand on the back of your neck sort of thing. Um, and you go, oh, and you stop what you're doing. Um, or you start it again from the beginning because you want to hear it again fully and you turn it up and you get really <laughs> excited. Um, and that happens with certain pieces of music, you know. Um, but I haven't really 
um, I'm not a great music collector, so I haven't really sort of collated a sort of archive of those tracks that always make me go, whoa, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's just so interesting to hear what music does to people. And yeah. actually, I'd be interested to know, do you ever work uh, with music on? Yes, yes. I mean, um, I have uh, a lot of music on, on my iPod. And uh, when I was at Albrus, I was playing that all the time. And um, it's great because it's such a mixture of music on there. That, and I always put it on shuffle, so I never know what's coming on next. And uh, that's quite exciting. But yes, mm. it's, it's um, always good to work to music. Yeah. Well, and speaking of the way you work, I'm very interested in the way you work, partly because you exhibit your works in progress, which I find as a musician is such an interesting idea and something I've never seen a musician doing. So you've exhibited your works in progress, both live and online. And could you talk a little bit about that process and also how it affects what you're working on? Yeah, um, it depends where where I am, what what the show is going to be, what the end result is. It's um, very different from doing a sort of a big commission like at Nakanojo, where I haven't been able to visit the site before. Uh, I've had to go buy photographs and uh, diagrams and then do drawings of an installation and then prepare that the materials and then go out there and install it. So... That's very different from what I was doing at Aubras, uh last year, where I went there with um, a notion of using a large space and making it into um, like a section of workshops. So this is where I would do my body printing on the floor. This is where I would do my uh, collaging. This is where I did my sewing. Uh, this is where I make the main pieces of work. So what I wanted to show there uh, to the audience there was the process of making um, my processes and my materials. And I did a, a large drawing animation uh, as well as paintings, collages and prints and all sorts of things. So there was, it's very much mixed media, multidisciplinary, mixed media and experimental. And I don't mind, as, as I'm doing that, I'm also documenting the work and putting it on my Instagram, mainly uh, to show people the work in progress. And I don't mind showing my failures sometimes and saying, yeah, this one failed, you know, this was a bad drawing or, you know, because it's about the making and the doing and... Oh, um, <laughs> do I just stop? That's life. <laughs> we can we can cut it out <laughs> so yes it's about it's about the process of of um the making and uh how you discover things on that journey and uh i i think if you're frightened of making mistakes then you never discover certain things because sometimes failures can be positive things or accidents might happen where you go oh I didn't know that was going to do that with that or mixing that material with that material or how about picking up this 
cork and making it into a piece of structure and laying it on the land like I did with floating floors, which was an installation I did in 2016 at Orbras, creating a cork floor, like a floating floor across the landscape. I remember that. <laughs> so, yes, and that was only because I was out there researching uh, at the museums and the place and that came the ideas came to me by the local materials and uh, the sense of the history of the land and yeah. so some of the work is very much in response to the environment right and you mentioned with this this exhibition that you did at Obras that you were also asking people to give you their responses to the works in progress and does that affect then what you do when you go back to working on these pieces? Yes, I think um, when I had the when I finished my residency there, I had some finished pieces and some work in progress pieces. Um, you know, there was about ten pieces of work, I think. Um, and what I like to do is find out what the audience how the audience responds to that work. I don't want to sort of dictate what the work is all about to them beforehand. So I might introduce myself, give them a bit of background to me and my work. And then I then ask them a few questions and, and uh, get them to write down and have a look at the work, just quietly have a look at the work uh, in situation, not through, PowerPoint or anything. So they're seeing it in, in, the, in the studio and to actually respond to it to a certain set of questions. And, you know, some of them is like, what, what, what does the work, what do you think the work's about? What do you think the artist's intentions are? How, how do you respond to the work? Do you think it's any good? How is it displayed? <laughs> you know, I don't mind criticize, criticisms and, you know, how do you think it could be any better do you think she could have done it a different way um so i'm really laying myself out there on the line but it's so important to get mm. your audience's response and and you know i got some amazing feedback and it's great if they write it down because uh everyone then afterwards when i ask them to feedback they they've all got something to say and we can have a really nice discussion and um and also I have that information written down so they give it to me afterwards and I can take it away with me. And then, you know, when I get home and I'm in my own studio, I can absorb it and respond to it. And, and yeah, that's always been helpful. Wow. So do you find you're able to really distance yourself from what you've created and actually have a discussion? Like just now you were talking about yourself in the third person. <laughs> what do you think is the artist's intention? Are you able to do that when you discuss your work with people? Yeah, I, I mean, yes, I mean, it's, you know, as I say, I'm not afraid of criticism. And I, I think it's, it's um, important to see how work, how the work is, is uh, seen or how people respond to it. And because you get so involved in the making, and you're with it all the time, and your conversation with it is you and it all the time, then it's so important for artists to exhibit the work to the audience so that that conversation changes. Mm. Oh, that's um, so interesting. 
So it's not just about me, 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 and that piece of work is mine, mine, mine. I'm, oh, I want it out there. I want to, it to be owned by others. I don't want to be, have this strong connection with it. Like I'm not going to change or I'm going to stick to my guns or, you know, I want to be open-minded and um, listen to what people say, you know, so that's important. That is so inspiring to me particularly. Um, and I think what's really related to this is how we talked about perfectionism. And this is something that I talk about a lot with colleagues, with friends, with students, how perfectionism seems to be rampant and like a disease for especially classical musicians. And um, you talked about holding yourself to really high standards. And to me, there seems to be a real distinction. Would you say there's a difference between perfectionism and holding yourself to high standards? Um, perfectionism, yeah, that's, that's an interesting word. I, I, high standards are important. Uh, being ambitious, but also setting sort of professionalism around your work is important. Um, high standards within the formal things is, is important. Perfectionism is something that it, it depends what sort of artist you are, I think. Um, you know, if there is, uh, I'm just thinking now of the imperfection of certain things, uh, deliberate imperfections just to jolt. If, if it's a type of work that is systematic and it's got to be, if there's something out of place, it's really going to jar. But that's sometimes done on purpose <laughs> to upset that rhythm. Um, but perfectionism, if you're striving for it and striving for it, then are you losing some of that creativity on the way? And those experiments and those accidents and those surprises that sometimes come out. Right. So the two different things, perfectionism, high standards are important. You know, what is, well, what is good art? You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's an open question, but uh, yeah. I think uh, that's why an audience is important because they can, if they can respond to the work and the work's saying something to them and they're understanding that and then they're also excited about the aesthetic of it then that's good i mean yeah. perfectionism it just seems very tight and restrictive i feel that <laughs> i feel that every day i spend in the classical music world <laughs> and but it, it may be so different you see i'm not a musician of an instrument so it may be so different that you have to have that perfectionism in in your music, you know. But, well, uh, it's it's interesting because as an artist, you study you study drawing, right? And and you start from a kind of canon of um, working classically, right? Um, 
And then the idea is to move away from that, right? Once you have mastered that to a certain extent and to find your own, mm. to find your own, your own way. And to me, it seems like we classical musicians have kind of gotten stuck in the mastering like we're continually trying to master the same things. <laughs> and I think that's where perfectionism really drags us down. Yeah. And where what you're saying about experimenting and making mistakes is so important for us. It's so important for us to learn from that and to get feedback and see, you know, is this good? Does this speak to people mm. and move on? I mean, is there a, is there a piece of music that you know that has done that deliberately put something in that piece to, uh, to, to jar it, to, to change it, to not make it perfect deliberately. Yeah. Yeah. That certainly that has happened many times. Sure. But I think that the main thing for us is that there is, there's such a distinction between training to be a composer and training to be a performer. And it's, yeah. it's really not very linked at all. There are a few people who do both. Yeah. And it's still not the norm. Oh, wow. That's quite interesting. Right? If you're a composer, wouldn't you want to perform it? What you've composed? I would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because you have the knowledge of the nuances, the, the ideas behind the composition of what you were thinking about. And when you perform it, those ideas come into your body language and your movements and I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And this is something that artists do. I mean, you know, my training, I mean, it's very much probably very different today, but you know, I came from a school that wasn't very art orientated. It was very science orientated and it was very old fashioned with the school uh, art lessons you know it was all very still life and all this and then i went on to college and foundation course and then that opened me up to all the different disciplines in art and uh you know then um i went on to a, a printmaking course and various things and uh but i, I think I've, i'm still learning all the time um still exploring still learning you know um I don't see myself as a great artist. Uh, I see myself as an artist, a fine artist, but practices with many different disciplines. And finding your own visual language, um, I suppose like a composer and a musician is finding their own way of making music, playing their own rhythms, how they play the instrument. So, with artists it's again finding your visual language but as you see with my work i don't tend to stick with one thing and i might be working from large pieces drawings installation sculptural things to photography printmaking so there is a range of work some of it's figurative then i did a load of abstract paintings as this one behind me yeah um so i I'm, i suppose i'm still discovering that's such a fantastic state to be in. I'm a very old student, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope to always be a student. Actually, yes. we coined a new term that we, uh, our students are our co-learners. So we are also co-learners. Oh, that's good. Yes. Yeah. 
So in June 2017, there was this terrible fire in the Grenfell Towers in London. And I think you told me you had to drive past it every day and that it really affected you deeply personally. And you started to create a piece about this fire when you were in Obras. And while you were creating that piece, you got some really devastating news. Could you tell me about that story and what you were creating at the time? Yes. Um, uh, June, uh, when I went to Obras, uh, I took the videos with me from Grenfell, which had just happened in June, and I was out in Obras in September. And I started making some experiments of how I was so, I was in tears when I was talking to my, one of my audiences there, I sort of broke down really. Um, I was making some tests first uh, to how I could res was responding to this absolutely horrific disaster. And um, it makes me so angry about everything in our society, you know. Um, and the cover-ups and the people taking money from the council to pay this company. And then this company used a different material without telling the council they could pocket the money. And, ah, oh. anyway. Um, so it's the total injustices of it. And I started working on some large uh, pieces of paper. And I wanted to create with, with graphite pigment and charcoal pigment and silver pigment. And I was creating these sort of painterly marks on this paper. And then I was cutting into the paper these cuts that would relate to some sort of architectural vent structure. So they were like vents, air vents mm. going up. And, um, and I was doing little videos of them in the studio moving. And, uh, and then I had one big roll of paper, which was about seven meters long. And I started, uh, laid that out ready to be cut as I tested the other pieces. And uh, then on the 17th of September, I heard that my stu storage in London, North London, um, as there was an, a really huge fire and um, all my artwork was burnt um, and lost in that fire. So, that was devastating news and I was right in the middle of my residency and obviously it affected me and I then went to do my cuts on this paper and I did the cuts too wide and of course hadn't judged the weight of this paper when it got hung up seven meters high it was a really high piece and then of course it collapsed and I was, you know, I was just, I thought everything's falling apart. Mm. And then I had, and this happened just before the end of the residency. And then I had to look at this piece and talk to the audience about this collapsed folded paper thing on the floor. And I, you know, and, the, and these other pieces that were more upright and doing what they should do with the light behind were working. And then um, 
but actually people were saying well that collapsed one looks like you know like the buildings collapsed and um so when I came back to England, it went, went in another show and um, I actually filmed it. Uh, I pinned it up and then I filmed it collapsing and then used that video. So I used the disaster of the work falling as a metaphor for the falling, for a collapsed situation. And then I created other pieces in response to my um, fire as well which were picking up materials from, from uh, Portugal, which was the lichen growing on the cork trees. And um, I, I made that into a shape of lungs and put them on a mirror plate. And then another mirror plate had a, a shape of a brick made out of ash. And another mirror plate had a pile of uh, marble dust. In, in just a pile as a collapsed monument and so it was about the living uh, monument and uh, cremation um yes yeah, so i've got that on my website and i've there's, there's titles on there i can't remember them now but they're mm -hmm. on my website so that, that was the the three pieces were laid on mirror plates on the floor and they were in response to this residue the, and life and death and everything else really sort of so yes i was making work in response to what's going on around me which i i always do anyway so yeah it's it thank you for sharing that and i can understand and imagine that that must be so painful even just to talk about it still both the devastation of the initial fire and then losing your your whole body of work um I I can only imagine that I would just sit there and cry and do nothing and you used it and you used this traumatic thing that happened to you to turn it into a response to the happening. Um, yeah. How do you get to that point where you are objective enough, at least in the moment of creation, to embrace everything that happens to you and turn it into your work how do i get to that moment i don't know. well after you after the tears <laughs> the initial tears and the the like <sighs> right where do we go from here you know it's you 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 know carry on make i'm i'm always responding to previous work and making new work and moving on um so i i tend to sort of put it in the back of my mind and think about new work. And that always excites me anyway. I'm always moving on to the next thing. Um, archiving my work in a storeroom or, you know, it's like, oh, right, okay, it's, it was there, now it's gone, just don't think about it, you know. Um, but obviously I do over time, as some things come to mind when I go, Oh, I did that piece of work back in so and so. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, we've not got it anymore. You know, it's all gone. <laughs> so, would you would you ever consider recreating or trying to recreate something that you lost? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I tried. Um, the, the I was more gutted because the painting behind me. Um, I spent seven months doing some abstract paintings, which I hadn't done before. 
And the one behind me was one of the last ones and um, it was too big to go in the storeroom, in the storage. So uh, I have left over just a few small paintings and three really big ones that wouldn't fit in. But all the medium sized ones went in the storage just before I went out to Portugal and uh, I was gutted about those. And so I tried to recreate them, but I didn't have a studio space. So I was recreate, trying to recreate them on a smaller scale, which obviously didn't work. No, it didn't work. Mm. So there was mm. no point. And I, I, I then thought, there's no, I've got no feeling. I've got no feeling for this. If I'm going to carry on painting, I need to be in a studio for painting and have the space. And I want to carry on developing the ideas of the painting, not try to recreate something I did before. Right. So, and that's what I'm beginning to start to do now in my studio now, I'll probably, which I've put on the Instagram is some very, very bad painting. <laughs> it's great. It's just like, this is stage one. The, under, the, the first layer of color of the, and they're figurative, sort of semi-figurative, and they're from my drawings of lockdown characters. I love seeing them. And then I put these paintings up, and it's like, you see, I don't mind people seeing the, the raw, this is, because I want, I want to show people the, learn, the process. I suppose that's my teacher element still in me, you know, like, this is putting down the first ground layer, then I wipe it off, and then I change it, and then I change it, and then I change it. And it might be a totally total disaster, um, but I don't mind saying that, uh, you know, I wouldn't put it on my website, but obviously I don't mind saying that and putting it on and letting people know my narrative as I'm going through it, you know. That is so great. Since Stella and I had a lot more to talk about, we decided to split this up into two episodes as well, and we'll continue with our conversation next week. Thank you for listening to Out of Rich Darkness. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take the time to leave us a review so that more people can find us. You can help us grow our community of positive change by engaging with us. What's on your mind? Who should we talk to next? We'd love to hear from you on social media. 